And here we go with the first show of year six, heading towards 300 episodes. I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Subalero. And this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Pulsera. Learn more about how you can build a regional system of care for free at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And always with me is my good friend, the one we call KG, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are things going down there in world-famous Pitkin, Louisiana? It's it's great, man. Um, a little tired this morning. Just a rough night last night, but... Uh, it's it's good, man. We're we're about to roll into the spring conference season, and we're we're trying to get ready for that in the midst of doing our taxes and conducting an EMT class. So my life is is extremely hectic right now, but otherwise, I'm I'm doing well. So the the show today really kind of gears a lot towards you. I mean, I think that you're going to kind of be the the interviewee, as I'm going to be the interviewer. <laughs> okay. And over the past couple months, we've had some shows on this. De- requirement uh, challenge mm-hmm. that's been going on in the career field. There was a position paper from NAMSI. There was a position paper from the fireside. NEMT had a position paper. We did a couple shows on degree requirements. And it seemed that that didn't really, I guess, settle or, or satisfy, you know, the folks that were in the career field to say, I don't know that these position papers go far enough. So it caused a bunch of uh, paramedics and some good names in EMS to kind of think about mm-hmm. setting up their own organization, which they're calling the American Paramedic Association. And Kelly, you are part of that movement. Yes. And you did come out with a manifesto, which mm-hmm. talks about your belief in the way things should move forward as part of degree requirements Yes. And, you know, i am kind of been following this from the fringe and watching it grow. I mean, on Facebook, there's almost 2,300, 2,500 or so followers. And you guys are actually trying to set up a version of uh, an organization for paramedics. So I think my first question to you is, what is the intent of the American Paramedic Association? Well, the, the American Paramedic Association, first of all, our, our seed money to get started was, was donated by the Paramedic Foundation. But it is an attempt to, to capitalize on the conversation uh, that's going on about degree requirements uh, in our profession and, and the advancement of emergency medical services and, and paramedicine. Uh, this, is, this is a hot topic today, and we decided to strike while the iron is hot. And, and part of it is is born uh, from dissatisfaction with some of our, our uh, representative agencies and advocacy organizations uh, over what we viewed as a, a tepid uh, support of, of paramedic uh, uh, education and minimum degree requirements. Uh, um, and we wanted something stronger. Uh, we, we were all uh, members of NAEMT, um, and, and I, from speaking for myself, will continue to be a member of NAEMT because I think they advocate for us um, effectively in, in other areas. Uh, but I was not satisfied with their, their uh, non-position position statement on, on paramedic degree requirements. Um, and when, when you come to an issue where the the agencies that are the organizations that are supposed to advocate for you their position on it fundamentally differs from your own you ask yourself do you still need to be a member of that organization 
Um, the answer for me and the answer for quite a few of us was, yes, we still need to be a member of that organization because they still do a great deal of good. But on this, in this regard, uh, something more is wanted. And that was what bore the, the paramedic manifesto that we developed and, and just recently released, uh, a bold statement of who we are, where we want to go, uh, and what we foresee for the profession. This is our, uh, our roadmap. We don't know exactly where it will take us, but we figured that a, a bold statement and, and uh, uh, a declaration was what was needed at this point. So that's where, we, where we're at right now. Okay, so now we have the American Paramedic Association, which mm -hmm. is the APA, and it's a yep. newly formed advocacy organization. You talked about this manifesto, and it's been going around Facebook, and you know, you guys have a logo that uh, it's a pretty neat little logo that everybody's kind of mm -hmm. in support is changing their Facebook, you know, uh, pictures too. But give us an overview, and it's not a long document, but give us an overview about no. the manifesto and and what it really kind of lays out for the vision. And then I, I want to go ahead and challenge it a little bit because. Okay. I, I'm one of those people that are on the fringe looking at it saying, what the heck is going on? And well, I want to give you my, debate. Yeah, and I'm going to give you my, what the heck is going on uh, position, but I, I do want to be able okay. to have you lay out the foundation. So when we have this, you know, this discussion, uh, you know, it'll be a little bit, uh, everybody will have the information that's needed. So go ahead and give us an overview of the manifesto and what you're trying to, you know, what the vision is you're trying to develop with it. Well, We'll state our, our main position right up front uh, before we even talk about anything else. We support and we believe it is absolutely necessary that paramedic level care require a minimum associate degree, if not a baccalaureate degree. Uh, I think that we and the fellow members of the founding members of the organization feel the same way that that we are at that point education and and scope of practice wise where an associate degree is already something that that most certificate programs would would meet the requirements for. All we lack is the sheepskin uh, hours wise. We are already there. But in the eyes of the rest of the healthcare professions in the eyes of policymakers, we'll still we're still seen as a journeyman trade. Uh, and our, our reimbursement, grant funding, and the, the attention paid to EMS among poly, policymakers reflects their opinion of us, uh, that we are merely a journeyman trade and in many cases an afterthought to the provision of health care in this country. Uh, and quite frankly, we're tired of that. Uh, we are play an integral role in health care, and, and uh, we decided that it's time to grow up and, and take a seat at the big kids' table. That's what the paramedic manifesto was, uh, was spawned from. We believe fervently that a degree requirement, at minimum uh, associate degree, is required to drive EMS and paramedicine forward. Now, that does not mean that we look down on certificate paramedics. We don't look down on EMTs. Uh, this is called the American Paramedic Association, but it is an association where all are welcomed who are willing and able to drive EMS forward. And that includes EMTs, and that includes certificate paramedics, of which I am one myself. I'm working on associate degree. Um, I am, I'm the low man on the totem pole at the APA as far as, as academic credentials go. Um, I've got enough college education and enough credentials that I could easily get a, an associate degree, which is what I'm doing. But the fact remains is I don't have that. 
And the people that, that started this organization are people that are, are longtime paramedics, field paramedics, educators, uh, administrators. And we've reached that point in our careers where we started to turn our focus outward off of uh, our next patient and, and our next dialysis run and our, our next paycheck toward what we see for the profession we belong to and where we think it should go. Quite frankly, the, the United States EMS lags far behind the rest of developed nations uh, in the advancement of, of paramedicine and time to play catch up. You can't do that with half measures. Yeah, so I think that uh, that was a good overview of the manifesto. One of the things that you brought up, you know, you talk about the American Paramedic Association, mm -hmm. but then there is the outline of the paramedic nomenclature in there, which kind of yeah. talks about that, you know, the it outlines the, um, you know, it outlines the credentials and so on and so forth. Uh, so will the association now start to advocate for the nomenclature of paramedic across the career field as well? Yes. Yes, I, I think that, that, I mean, we welcome the conversation. We welcome the conversation. If there are people who have contrarian views, by all means, express them, because that is how growth happens, is, is healthy and rigorous debate. Uh, but in our minds, the, the authors of that manifesto uh, believe that, that some degree of, of uniformity in, in nomenclature is necessary. Uh, because, you know, at last count, there were like 67 different uh, levels of emergency medical provider in the United States. So fragmented um, among the different state associations and, and, and state licensing agencies and, and national registry uh, and the, the places that, that don't accept national registry, which are, are dwindling. Uh, and we think that's a good thing. Um, we, we need a uniform standard. You know, when you're a registered nurse uh, and you take a nursing exam, you take a nationally uh, validated, uh, standardized nursing exam. A nurse is a nurse is a nurse is a nurse, no matter what state you're in. Um, they may have different continuing education requirements and so on and so forth, but to become a nurse, you have to pass that exam. Yet, we still have people that think that the National Registry is, is uh, a money-making organization. And they fail people, so they'll have to retest and make more money. Um, and, and we have little enclaves of uh, they believe that the provision of EMS is a uh, is a unique thing in their own state, uh, and that a CHFer in in uh, um, New Jersey uh, behaves differently than a CHFer in Louisiana, and that sort of thing. So some well, they just, of they just do it with, they just do it with a different accent. <laughs> probably so. Okay. Uh, uh, probably so. As Jeff Jarvis pointed out, one of his memes that he made, he said, "You know, pathophysiology don't care where you live, bro." Uh, it's the same no matter what. And, and our, our education, our nomenclature and certification levels need to reflect that. Uh, the rest of the, the developed nations, um, Europe, uh, Canada, they, if you work on an ambulance outside the hospital environment, you're a paramedic. Now, you may have differing degrees of paramedics, uh, the, the primary care paramedic, the advanced care paramedic, the critical care paramedic, but you're still a paramedic. And, and I think paramedicine uh, accurately describes what we do outside of the hospital environment. Um, it's still healthcare. Uh, some of our critics have said that you know uh, we're we're drawing a distinction between paramedicine and healthcare. No, I don't. We're not drawing a distinction between the two. It is still the same. It is merely healthcare 
uh, practiced in a unique environment that reflects a, a special set of skills and knowledge base that, that we uh, that we possess. And we're trying to claim ownership of that by calling ourselves paramedics. You know, so I, I think that there's a lot of things to talk about. And I really like to spend the rest of the show kind of debating okay. this this concept. But before we do that, it's probably time that we take our mid-show break. And I want to go and highlight the benefits of Pulsera. Pulsera provides a real-time communication network across entire regions. And it's free to EMS. The Pulsera platform, built on the power of mobile technology, unites the right clinicians at the right time for the right patient, providing transparency and streamlined communication. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build the team, and communicate using audio, video, instant messaging, data images, and key benchmarks. Any patient, any condition, every time. Oh, and did we mention that it's free to EMS? For more information, visit pulsera.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. You know, so Kelly, we were talking before the break about, you know, the American Paramedic Association and Mm -hmm. the manifesto. And I would really like to challenge now kind of the processes or the the visions of what you have. And, And I can understand the this debate of paramedic of education requirements has really kind of given people the you know the the motivation and the inspiration to say we need better from our associations mm-hmm. and you know from my side uh, and I'll share my feelings in this cuz I'm sure there's a lot of people that may have the same I don't know that we need a piece of paper that tells us whether and I say a piece of paper I don't mean a degree I, I'm saying a position statement to say that we need to have higher education for one. I think that individuals that want higher education should go out and get higher education. As we now start to dictate that we need to have associate's degrees or bachelor's degrees, which now extends the amount of time that people are in school, which now gives them greater debt to come out and make $12 an hour, $15 an hour, really doesn't bode well with a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. But my question is, as we now start to move the career field towards degrees, this doesn't necessarily mean it equates to more money. I mean, because we're still only going to get the reimbursement that CMS is going to give us. So mm-hmm. how? what's the thought process now that we get everybody associate's degrees by the year 2023 or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. that the money is going to follow that? I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, it's well it's it's certainly not a, a linear progression that's for sure um, but one thing is certain is that if we don't demonstrate value for what we do and take ownership of our profession we will continue to be the last entity considered when it comes to doling out those reimbursement dollars and that that federal budgeting um, and and right now as it stands with the with the uh, CMS is that, we are considered a transport entity, and the care we provide, which is quite sophisticated, is incidental in the eyes of CMS. Now, we've started to see a shift in the way CMS looks at reimbursement with the new ET3 model. And, and you know, the, in that ET3 model, when it talks about the, the level of provider that will be providing this care in this, in this voluntary program, this voluntary reimbursement model, um, it specifically says that the person that will be doing this or the provider that will be doing this is not envisioned uh, or the current paramedic or EMT level. It does not specify degrees, but it, it explicitly states that uh, it's something more than the current EMT or paramedic. 
what that means is that the agencies that that utilize the ET3 model are going to have to provide uh, additional education and sometimes some cases quite extensive additional education to the EMTs and paramedics uh, that are are working under that model. Uh, this is an excellent opportunity for us to to seize the reins and say, hey, we've got a model in place. We've got a model we're developing um, that will meet this need, and it's called a degreed paramedic. Um, that so could now, be, yeah, go ahead. So now in the days of the paramedic shortages, and we, we're mm-hmm. reading all the time about that agencies are having problems filling you know, seats, I will concede that some of these organizations that are having challenges of filling employees could be because the leadership of those organizations are not treating their workforce the best that they can as well. So when mm-hmm. we think about, and they're, and they're looking for the cream of the crop organizations in those states and those cities and those counties to work for, yeah. and that could be a reason that there's a shortage. We're even starting to see that states are saying that fewer EMTs are recertifying their uh, credentials at the end of their period of time and but now what we're going to say or what the the advocate you know the advocacy of the American Paramedic Association is leading us to is to say you know what we have a paramedic shortage uh, but let's go ahead and put you in school for six more months so we can get the prerequisites that we need to complete an associate's degree I mean do we need to consider some type of work along program to where you come out of school, you get your certification, you start to work in the career field, and then you work with that organization or you work with that school to continue your studies to now get your associate's degree. Why do I have to have an associate's degree to get hired? Why can't I commit to completing my education and moving along in that process? Well, that's that's an, an excellent point, and it's one that, that uh, merits consideration, and and that's why we welcome people who who have alternative ideas to our own to, to submit their uh, to submit their their ideas and and to to debate them with us uh, and and try to convince us we're we're as open minded as we can be, but what we do all share is a passion for moving things forward, and we think it's time uh, to start right now. The uh, Paramedic shortage. You know, Chris, I'm going to tell you, is a shortage really a bad thing? Uh, from Simply from the law of supply and demand, um, uh, the shorter supply, uh, the, the greater the demand for something, uh, pay will increase. Now, that's not a that's not an automatic thing, given how our uh, how we receive our reimbursement from the federal government. Um but it certainly does drive benefits packages and salaries, uh, at least on, on a local level. Um, if people want to keep uh, paramedics on the ambulances and, and working and staffing, uh, they have to think of ways to attract and retain paramedics uh, and pay and benefits are, are a great uh, part of that. Now, we, we all drink from a finite revenue pool, but with ET3, that sort of thing is is um, is. Uh, looking like it may change, or at least they're they're open to the idea of it changing in the future. Let me let me flip the question around to you though. Is the reason we have a paramedic shortage, uh, or and in some cases an, an EMT shortage in many places, uh, is the reason we have that? Could it be that we are bloated and inefficient as a profession, and a great deal of the unnecessary stuff that we are asked to do 
we we merely can't meet that need. We can't meet an, un, uh, an unreasonable uh, and unrealistic need for the provision of EMS in this country. Is contraction necessarily a bad thing? Yeah, I don't now, know. When you, I don't know he, that. I, I don't know that I buy the whole supply and demand argument. Well, I well, think let me that, let me put it to you this way. Okay. Well, let me. Let, I'm going to interrupt you because I I don't think that uh, I think that supply and demand is uh, a an element here. It's not the only element, and it may not even be the primary one that drives salaries up, but it is. It is a uh, an element that we need to consider, and it will have an effect. Okay. Now, when we, uh, if you've got uh, an agency, let's say ten paramedic uh, trucks on the road in their response area uh, during peak hours. Right. Um, is that because they need ten paramedics on the truck? They need ten ambulances to meet that system demand, of which seventy percent of them don't need to go to an emergency department, uh, much less need an ambulance to get there. All right. Let me stop you is right there. Let me stop possibly- you. Let me stop you okay, right go there, ahead. okay? Because I, I want I want to take this, you know, before you go off this peak. So here here's the argument now. Okay. When you're saying that <laughs> peak demand, ten trucks on a street, twenty paramedics or EMTs, you know, ten and ten, whatever it is, that's the demand. So the demand is requiring that those trucks be on the street. Now you give the argument that seventy uh, percent of those people don't need to go to the emergency room. Well, that's all well and good, but what do we do with them? And and if if we're going to dispose of them differently, uh, meaning that we take them to alternative destinations, or meaning that we are, mm-hmm. are leaving them at home, do you really? Right now, there there's no reimbursement for that. There's no payment for that. So I don't no, think that this I don't think that this ET three thing is going to be the end all beat all for. Um, well, no. I, I, but but anyway, I let me I, let me finish my thought. So when we think about the demand, the opportunity now is that. The calls are coming in, and when a mother has a three-month-old that's in cardiac arrest, we can't say that 70% of the people don't need to go to the emergency room, so we're only going to put eight trucks on the street at peak time. So the peak time is what it is, secondary to the fact that over the historical uh, 20 weeks, if you're using a 20-week cycle for demand Mm -hmm. uh, or for your resources, you've known that you need 10 trucks on the street at peak time. and that's just the way that that is. And you can't go messing with that just because 70% of the people don't need to go to the hospital. Well, we we need that minimum number of trucks on the road at, at, during peak time because that is the paradigm that we've been operating under. But you know as well as I do that our current healthcare model is unsustainable. We can't keep up with the demand uh, that we have uh, with the current system in place. It's teetering on the brink of collapse and change has to has to come. Um, I don't know if that's going to mean single payer. I don't really that that's not an issue for me. What is an issue is, is that the provision of health care in the United States, healthcare in general, not just emergency medical services, reflects the fact that we think that more medicine is better medicine, uh, where whereas quality medicine is better medicine. Um, And. Our paradigm has to shift as to how we provide and reimburse healthcare in this country. Uh, and the, quite frankly, the reason that, that we have to have so many ambulances on the road is because we have to meet a demand that is uh, uh, for a system that is inefficiently designed in the first place. 
if we're going to move forward in healthcare, the entire system needs a redesign. And that's going to trickle down to EMS. Yet, if we don't have the academic credentials and the professional ownership of our profession, um, when that when those changes occurs, who who will advocate for us if not us? Or will we still, under the new healthcare model, uh, whatever that may be, will we still be considered an afterthought and take what scraps they will give us? And and that's uh, a fundamental reason that the American Paramedic Association was established because we're trying to get ahead of the game and and start advocating for ourselves uh, and ownership of our profession, uh, so that so- when those changes occur, we have a greater voice. Uh, to to advocate for our piece of the pie and and what we uh, the the unique skills and knowledge base that we bring to the job. So I think that there's a lot of great things that you talk about. I think that there's a lot of things that could be challenged. That you're welcoming the challenge because it, it really mm-hmm. kind of puts you in a position to polish the message and see how things are going to go forward. It's going to be interesting yeah. to see how things kind of transpire uh, as things move along, Kelly. And so uh, it. it I guess this is my last question before we go to close. You know, so now that you the association is developed, now that you have the vision with the manifesto, I mean, what is it that you're looking for from the career field as you move forward from today? Well, at this point in in our development, what we need and what we want is your voice, and that's all we want. We want your voice. We want solidarity within our profession. Uh, we're not asking for membership dues, although I'm, I'm, I would imagine that, that as we grow and we build our infrastructure, some sort of membership mechanism will be necessary. But right now, we need your voice. We're building something. This is a barn raising, uh, and the more help we can get, the more oppressive barn we can build. Uh, but that's where we're going, and that's where we want to go. Uh, the question is, is, is how many people are going to jump on the wagon uh while we get there so that's what we think we'd like to hear what you think email us at the show at ems1.com don't forget to rate us on itunes and for myself and co-host chris sabalero thanks for tuning in to inside ems we'll catch you guys next week